Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. However, I really, really love Isaiah. It's just a a phenomenally great book. Uh, Once you can get into it, once you understand it a little bit, uh, and it takes a lot to get into it, it takes a lot to understand it because it's written in a, a way which is actually very confusing for us. Meaning, uh, typically when we read a book, uh, we're looking for the plot, we're looking to see where is this story going, and when we start reading Isaiah, it's like, where is this thing going? It's like, it's like circular, it's like, I don't see how one chapter relates to the next chapter, or how the whole book ties together, and, and yet it does, uh, because it's written in a whole different style. So, uh, if you like me and you have a passion for God's Word, uh, and you uh, realize that when you're reading the Old Testament, it just takes a lot more effort, honestly, to get into God's Word, to see how does this apply to us today. Uh, that takes a lot more effort because it's old, uh, and it's, uh, especially in the prophets, uh, you're talking about God raising up prophets for a time to speak to a people group, but it's like long before Jesus. Uh, and so how does that apply to us today? It means we've got to understand how it applied to them then. And So it's just really what I'm saying is it's a wonderful book, but it takes a little bit of patience. So uh, I, I, I am worried that um, I'm going to go in all sorts of rabbit trails and you're not going to know what my point was uh, because I'm going to get excited about uh, Isaiah. And So I, I, I want to read my title of my message to you just so that uh, if I get totally lost, you'll say, oh, that's what the point was. <laughs> I, I want to talk about being positive in a negative world. How to be positive in a negative world and how faith in Jesus can change everything. Now, right there you see my dilemma. I'm talking about faith in Jesus and yet I'm talking about the book that was written, you know, 700 years before Jesus. Uh, And not only that, I want to preach out of Isaiah 6, which is like random. Why do you start in the middle of the book and not at the beginning? Uh, So there's a lot going on. I don't know where you're at at the moment in your life and where your anxiety level is and uh, how you feel you can be uh, good news, uh, how you can be positive in a time like this. I, uh, I know I'm a little old-fashioned. I like to read the newspaper, the, the, the print edition. I, I get the online edition, and honestly, I never read it. If I don't get the print edition, I just... And, and I particularly like the Wall Street Journal for two reasons. One, it covers world events, which I find interesting. And secondly, it uh, like zones in a little bit on economics. And I just enjoyed economics when I was a student at school. Uh, and I realized that when you study economics, the only thing that really matters is that you understand this phrase. And this phrase is, on the other hand. <laughs> See, economics is all, all about this, like, Okay, the unemployment in America at the moment is really, really great. I mean, it's like really, really low. But on the other hand, like we really can't grow our business. <laughs> you know, so how do you stay positive in a negative world? Because economists are notorious for being negative because 
It doesn't matter how great things are, they'll, they'll point out real quickly that it's kind of negative. Uh, but also, if you're interested in world affairs, uh, it seems to me that we've come to the end of an era of world peace, uh, meaning we, we've done an experiment over the last, I don't know how many years, 20 years, where if we could get our economies to be interlocked and interdependent, uh, we'd all uh, sort of rise together, and we'd all be dependent on each other so we wouldn't kill each other and fight each other. And that seems to have like rapidly becoming coming to an end. So we got the war in Ukraine, and uh, okay, so now Russia's cutting off the supply of oil to Germany, and Germany's like, ah, it's like, okay, we got a lot of anxiety on that. And then we've got uh, Taiwan, and uh, we've had uh, Nancy Pelosi go visit, and then we had Joe Markey from, uh, from our state go visit, and China's like, got all the military out, they're circling the island, and they're shooting missiles, and they're like furious. And so if you're just a casual observer like me, there's a reason to get a little anxious. It's like, wait a bit, we got like things are changing, Russia and China joining up, and uh, they're not happy with us, and the supply chain's all messed up, and how do you stay positive in a negative world? Well, you read the book of Isaiah. It's so, it's so obvious. All the answers are, are, right, are right there. I mean, they really are. Look, forget about world events. I mean, you can be here today and you're feeling anxiety because of your own personal situation, be it financial, be it relational. And how do you stay positive uh, when you've got all these pressures against you? And it seems to me from a New Testament standpoint, that we have the ability within us to view our circumstances in a positive way. Uh, when you look at what it says in Philippians, it says, don't worry about anything. I mean, if the Apostle Paul is saying, don't worry about anything, it's not saying that, okay, when everything's perfect, you won't have to worry about anything. No, no, he's saying, don't worry about anything when everything is not perfect and there's a lot of reasons to be anxious and so there is the sense that wait we can't change the external but we can change the way we think and the way we depend on God and on on the Lord to guide us help us strengthen us provide for us direct us that we can provide that we can rely on and friends the great news is that Jesus is actually desiring us to rely on him. He's wanting us to ask him. He's asking us, please, will you be dependent on me? That's the way I've designed it. Jesus is saying, I want you to be my servant. That, that, that means by definition, we don't figure it all out. We follow Jesus who has figured it all out. And once we can live in that comfort of, okay, if we can just follow you, Jesus, you know our needs, you will provide for us, our anxiety levels will go down and we can actually be very positive people in a very negative world. Let me just, um, let me just pray before I, uh, I preach. I know Marcus prayed for me. That was great. But Jesus, I just pray that you touch every heart this morning. Lord, that we can get a passion for your word and maybe even a glimpse of your understanding of how you value church and uh, the blessing of this institution and of this very body. So Lord, just empower me to preach. 
uh, without your empowerment, I, I really have nothing to bring. So help me, Jesus. In your name, amen. Uh, let, me, uh, let me give you a framework of how you might want to look at the book of Isaiah because it's 66 chapters. Uh, it's a prophetic book. Uh, and if you look at it this way, if you say the first six chapters are all an introduction, of which chapter 6, which is where I'm going to today, uh, is sort of like a summary of the whole first six chapters. And it starts with how Isaiah gets called into ministry. That's the section that I want to go to. Uh, if you sort of get that grasp, and then you, the, the question that, we, uh, that I think God is asking is, will you be my servant? And the whole of those first six chapters, you could look in that way, will you be my servant? And it's hitting it from all sorts of different angles. Will you be my servant? The next uh, section is from 7 through uh, 39. The question is, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me despite what's happening internationally? Will you trust me uh, in your daily effort? Will you trust me? And then the book makes a major shift uh, in chapter uh, 40. And so from 40 to 55, uh, the question then becomes, will you live by my grace? And will grace be the motive of what drives you? And then the book uh, goes from uh, 56 to 66, and the question becomes, will you live righteously? Will you be my servant, and will you live righteously? And it's very helpful to understand that framework, because it's a big and long and complicated book. I'm going to give you a little quick sample here as we jump in. So Isaiah chapter 1, uh, verse 1, verse 2. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. God raised them. He's cared for them. But they've rebelled against Him. This is God speaking through Isaiah. Why do you continue to invite punishment? Must you rebel forever? And then verse 9, If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of us, we would, be, would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. And then God gets into like some of the specifics. And if this is really, well, interesting to me. Because he deals with our religious um, tendencies or their religious tendencies. And what you see quickly here is uh, they've traded relationship with God and the presence of God for just going through the motions. And kind of honestly, people have gotten bored with going to church, in their case would have been, you know, the temple. And they kind of got bored with God, but they know they're kind of obligated that they have to do it. And so God says to them, I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams. Uh, when you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. <laughs> you know, so you can see it's like, wait, I thought you wanted us to bring money. I thought you wanted us to, in those days bring a sacrifice. I thought you wanted us to come into your courts and, and God is saying, yeah, but you don't love me. I mean, you're just going through the motions. Anyway, he teases us all out and he says, I'm sick of it. And then he says, give up your evil ways, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphans, fight for the rights of widows. In other words, like, if you've got relationship with me, you'd care about people. And 
You need to care about people. Then he says, come, let's settle this. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. They are red like crimson. I will make them as white as wool. If you will only obey me, you will have plenty to eat. But if you turn away and refuse to listen, you will be devoured by the sword of your enemies. Now, you get the idea that things haven't changed much in all these years. You know, we can either be dependent on God uh, or we can't. God is saying, I want to protect you. I want to provide for you. Will you let me? And then, as I said, the book is kind of interesting because it makes all these weird, uh, it's weird to us, uh, turns. Uh, and while it's going through this, chapter 2 starts in a whole different direction. It starts talking about the future and for us, the future has partially already been realized, and partially it hasn't been realized. Uh, and like I said, there's sort of like a cycle going through here. It's not necessarily linear, but if you look at the whole of chapter 1 through 6, it kind of comes together. So seeming, seemingly out of context, uh, chapter 2 goes this way. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all. Okay, so God is reminding us. In the last days. Now, are we ready in the last days? This is a prophet. Did the last days already happen? Uh, and the answer is yes. Uh, well, yes to what? Well, yes, it already happened. And yes, it hasn't already happened. Okay, so God is saying he puts a lot of value in this case on the temple, on the house of the Lord. In our case, in the church, the presence of God. The, and God is saying it's not just like a byproduct. The church is like imperative. It's God's bride. Jesus said, I died not only for you individually. I died for the church. Now, I get it straight away when I say this. But the church is kind of like messed up. Yeah, because it is. I mean, let's be honest. The church is super messed up. But God has no other plan. God's plan is for the church and it's going to be led by messed up people like me pointing you to somebody that's perfect, Jesus, and that's the hope. And there's something that God is doing in the church. Well, let me just read instead of preaching about it. Uh, in the last day, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above all the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the, the house of, of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their, their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation, nor, nor train for war anymore. You know, so we see in something like that, it's like, wait, this is a future thing that hasn't yet happened. But on the other hand, God has done something in Jerusalem. Jesus was born in Jerusalem. Out of Jerusalem, the good news has come. The whole world is being impacted, and God is at work. Anyway, that's just the backdrop. So now, let, now I can finally get to where I want to go. Isaiah chapter 6. Sure. Okay. Isaiah chapter 6 starts off this way. Wait, that clock is not working. 
Oh, okay, good. Uh, it says this. It was the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. Unfortunately, I can't carry on from there because you have to understand the context. <laughs> if we just read that the way I get it, we'd normally read it. It was the year that Uzziah died. We just like, okay, so what does that mean? It means nothing. Like, who's Uzziah and what's the big deal? Actually, it's a big deal. This is what's, this is what's going on. Uh, there's a crisis in the world. Uzziah was this great king. The last time they had a great king was Solomon. And in between Solomon and Uzziah, there's been like, it's been miserable. And uh, Uzziah like was a godly guy. And now they're looking at who's going to follow Uzziah. And it's like, it's not looking good. The elections are not looking good. And so there's a crisis. And there's a real crisis because war is being built up all around. All around Judah, around Jerusalem, everybody is ready to attack. But under Uzziah, there's been peace. He's been able to keep it. But it ain't happening much longer. There's a sense of urgency. And God is saying to us, like, how can we be positive people in a negative world? And so this is how he deals with uh, Isaiah. Isaiah says, It was the year that Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were a mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with His glory. What God is doing to Isaiah is this. He's saying, I need a person that's going to be an unbelievable servant for me because the job of my servant is going to be very difficult. And I don't want my servant to be wavering in faith. And friends, God does something very, very similar to us. He says, unless we can experience... Now, I want to emphasize that word. Experience God's presence, God's love. We need to know it personally. It's no good if I'm just telling you about it and telling you about it and making an argument for it. Somehow it has to penetrate us and we have to experience God's love for us, that He really loves us and that God really is who He said He is. And when Isaiah saw this, it was like, this was mind-blowing. All of a sudden, his eyes were open to something totally supernatural. And he experienced something that he didn't have to be, uh, you know, taught or, or he didn't have to be convinced about. He experienced the presence of God. Now, friends, I've never experienced the presence of God in such an incredibly dramatic way. But we've got Scripture to help us. To say, okay, again and again, ordinary people are experiencing this extraordinary God in unbelievably per, uh, personal ways. What I am saying is we do need to experience God to make our lives different. If we don't experience God, we won't really change our ways. But when we do experience God, everything changes. It says, the back to the experience, you know, these strange beings their, their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke 
then this is what normally happens. When we have an encounter with God, something happens to all of us. And uh, this is what happened here. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy, filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Unless you encounter the unbelievable holiness, perfection uh, of God, we always feel like we're pretty good, like we're pretty righteous, like, you know, I'm just better than Chris, so, you know, I paid most of my taxes, most of the time I don't speed, and I'm pretty loving as long as you're good to me. You know, I mean, like we always see, like we're relative, and in our eyes, we're good enough. But when you stand in the presence of somebody that's perfect, you have the exact opposite impact. It's like, I'm not good enough. I don't even meet up to those standards. It's like I feel totally unworthy. Uh, you, you feel like undone, actually. Uh, and that's often what happens when we get into the presence of God and we worship God. God meets us in that way. But it is important that we have our own experience of God so that we can uh, be so connected to God later on when God seems distant and God seems, you know, not close. I've shared this experience I had with God when I just became a Christian. I had a business and it was doing really well. And uh, then it all of a sudden uh, wasn't doing very well. And it went downhill very, very quickly. And I uh, was under a lot of pressure because I'd borrowed money from my sister. I'd borrowed money from the bank. I'd borrowed money from my sister's friends. And I realized that I wasn't going to be able to pay it back. And I was feeling a lot of stress and a lot of guilt. And I was going to work that day. And I was decided, okay, today I'm going to uh, declare bankruptcy. And I'm going to wind this business down. Uh, but I was praying to Jesus. And I said, Jesus, I really need your help. And I said, I, I can't sleep at night. I'm stressed out. I'm super anxious. But I want to do this the right way. And so I said to God, I made a deal with God. I said, I'm going to declare bankruptcy, but I'm going to pay back everybody that I owe every cent to. It might take me three, five years. I don't care. But for the next three to five years, however long it takes, I'm paying back every cent to the bank. I'm going to do that. And I'm sitting in traffic. It's, it's 11 o'clock on a Monday morning. And I'm praying to God like I'm just talking to you uh, now. And I'm just speaking out loud. And the presence of God hits me. And I'm standing, and I just start crying. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And I just feel this unbelievable peace. And I'm like, what's that? And because of the peace, I'm just, I'm just bawling my eyes out. I'm like, that's a new experience for me. I don't normally bawl my eyes out. And I'm like, God, what's going on? And I just felt, I don't know what's going on. I just know that this feels totally different. I'm not stressed. I'm not worried. It's going to work out. It was an unbelievable personal encounter for me. It'll make no sense to you. I can retell the story, but it, it really, it's just, you've got to have your own personal experience. I showed up to work. The phone rings. The guy says, somebody on the other side says, I want to buy your business. I said, oh, who are you? I thought it was one of my friends just making a prank. I said, I'll oh, get out of here. Put, car phone's back. 
I want to buy your business. I'm like, who are you buying? He tells me. And I said, no, who are you? Like, I'm here pranking. Come on. I want to buy your business. Like, do you want to sell it to me or not? He bought my whole business. He said, I said to him, my, my business is broke. What do you... He said, no, nah, my wife, she's bored. I'm buying your business as a hobby. I don't care if it doesn't make money. I'm like, great. He bought my business. He paid cash for it. I, I paid back everybody. Look, you have an experience like that. Your trust level of God is like up here. That has stood me instead for the rest of my life. I will never forget that experience. I'll never forget the experience of being anxious and being like having no way out. I'm totally stuck. I'm in the corner. And for God to provide like a miracle, like in short measure. Sometimes God works very fast. Sometimes it seems like painfully slow. But God is God. Isaiah has a similar thing. He's in personal encounter with God, and then he feels super unworthy. And uh, verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Friends, there is something that God has to sort us out. We have to be forgiven by God and we have to realize that we are not perfect. Uh, Once we're at this position where we first recognize the holiness of God, we're not there we have to be made right with God. And God has made a plan where Jesus came into this earth as God so that He could make us right with the Father. But a price has to be paid. We, you know, we always minimize our, our sin and our errors. We say, ah, just forgive me, I'm sorry. No, God is saying a price has to be paid and God is paying the price as, with His Son. Being fully God. I mean, it's an incredible price to be paid. Back in Isaiah, Isaiah's like, wait. I, I realize that I'm just filthy. I, I, and God says, okay, I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to touch your lips and take a coal from the altar. And once you've paid this price, in his case, pain, you'll be made right with God. You'll be purified. And so he is. Then I heard the Lord saying, oh, wait, let me jump back. Uh, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now the guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Now all this to build up to this point. It's like there's a crisis. He experiences the presence of God. He feels like he's totally unworthy. Uh, He sees how bad he is. Uh, God reaches out and purifies him. And then God starts with the, the real question which is similar to where God is in your life and my life. He says, okay, do you believe in me? Have you experienced my presence? Uh, Do you match up? No, you don't match up, but I will help you in the name of Jesus. Uh, Now, are you ready to be my servant? And uh, he says to Isaiah, then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to to this people? Who will go for us? And it's interesting, again, Old Testament, who will go for us? I mean, who's the us? Maybe it's Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. He said, I said, here I am, send me. And he said, yes, go. Okay, so (laughs) here's the way God works in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, then with you and with me. God says, 
okay, do you believe in me? Do you want to be used by me? I want to use you. I want, to, I want you to be my servant. Will you be my servant? And if we respond the way God wants us to respond, we say, yes, Jesus, I'll do anything for you. Uh, I believe in you. You're just absolutely incredible. Once you've experienced the fullness and the wholeness of Jesus, the natural response is, how do I respond to you, Jesus? And we should be responding in a similar way to the way Isaiah respond, responded. Just use me, Jesus. Send me. Now notice what comes first here. It's use me and send me. What comes first in our lives when we talk to Jesus is, well, explain exactly what it is that you want me to do. <laughs> nah, that sounds too risky. Now, now give me all the details. Now, I don't want to walk by faith. I, I, I need to know the details, like all of it. And then I'll decide if I can do it firstly and if I want to do it secondly that's our normal natural way of processing which is why we miss so much of what God is doing wants to do in our lives in your life and in my life but if we'll have this response God use me use me however whenever it's kind of scary when you actually pray that with with a lot of like you know integrity okay God if you want to use me right now here's my checkbook I don't know if, how, how comfortable are you. Uh, here's my calendar. Well, I've got all these other good things planned. I mean, it's scary when you just give your life to God. But not only that, it's absolutely delightful. Because God has a, a, a great plan for us. And uh, God is good. God is good all the time. I'm getting lost. I said I was going to lose my way. <laughs> The most important thing is when am I supposed to keep quiet? I think around about now. God does want us to be good news uh, in this world, and He wants to use each one of us to be good news. And if you look at the way this, the way this closes out, is God then says to Isaiah, okay, look, go to these people. They're not going to listen to anything you say. They're not going to hear what you say. They're not going to do anything you say. Go and talk to them. And Isaiah's like, how long is this going to go on for? You know, uh, we all, all of us that are pastor, often it feels like it. You're talking about God's Word. It's pretty clear. I don't get why it's so confusing. You ask people to do it. And they say, well, you know, my political preference is this, and I want this, and, I, and it's like, What? Just serve Jesus. Will you love him? And it's like, you feel like you're just talking to people that just don't hear you. Like, you're talking about this and they're thinking about this. It's like, whatever. So, if you want to be used by Jesus, you've got to know that it's not going to be that clear. It's not going to be that easy. Uh, you're going to say and talk to your friends, your neighbors, and tell them how wonderful Jesus is. And they're going to be like, church? Time out. No, thank you. Jesus? I'm not in. And God is saying, well, if you want to represent me, that's the way it's going to be. Get comfortable with it. And, you know, the bottom of this, the way this chapter 6 closes out, it says, uh, basically, God is going to deal with His people. And you can put church leaders that have fouled up. He'll deal with all of them. But there will be a stump. There will be a seed. There will be something, a remnant, that will remain 
And of course, Jesus is that seed. He is the remnant. And uh, God is saying, out of that seed, something great will come. It'll be the New Testament. And out of our ability to follow Jesus, something great will come. We can be a positive influence in a negative, in a negative world. God really does have uh, a plan for us. But he's saying, he's saying to us, uh, you know, can we be used? Will we be used? Will we be open to Jesus? And God is asking us, can we take whatever it is that we're anxious about and actually give it to Jesus? And not just give it to Jesus, but also to say, God, I want to turn my life around, my thinking, my heart, and I want to be your servant. I don't have to know everything. I want to know everything, but I don't have to know everything. But I want you to guide me. I, I, I just want to give you my problems, and I want to know that you've got world peace under control, whether it be now or later, but you got it under control. World peace, that, that's totally secondary. I'm mostly interested in Rob's peace. Like, do you have my peace under control? And do you have my life under control? And there's a sense that God's saying, I have your life, Rob. Each one of you, personally, I have it under control. It's going to take a lot. It's going to require that you believe in me and you follow me as a servant. And when you do, when you obey me, when you live by my precepts, when you live my way, you will experience an abundant life and a full life. And it's going to take turns and twists that you've never imagined. Will you trust me? Why don't we have the worship team uh, come on up? Because, friends, I think God is asking us, will you trust me? When Jesus came to this earth, he was basically fulfilling Isaiah. In fact, there's more in Isaiah than any other Old Testament book in the New Testament. But Jesus is God coming to earth saying, let me experience, let me show you how to experience my presence. His disciples were physically present with him. And now he's given us his Holy Spirit so we can experience God's presence. And he's saying, understand that I have died for you because you are not perfect and I'm going to make you perfect. In God's eyes. Or at least we won't be separated from God. We can experience the fullness of God. But it's for a purpose. It's, will you be my servant? Will you live according to my ways? And can you live in a way that's full of peace? And will you do, live in a way where you actually love your neighbor? That's our job description. We've all got it, generally speaking. Will we love our neighbor? And Jesus is saying, I'm dying for the church. That we as a body can experience this mystery of God together. And I say again, will we give God our anxiety and will we replace it with Jesus and say, Jesus, I invite you into my life, be it the first time or the last time. In fact, let me just uh, transition this way as we go into worship. You can just pray along with me uh, quietly, uh, whether it be your first time or the many, many times. Jesus, we just acknowledge that you exist. Jesus, we acknowledge that you're the fulfillment of what was said in the Old Testament. Jesus, we desire to experience your presence. We welcome you to live within us. Put a 
your Holy Spirit within us so that we can be connected to you. Jesus, we acknowledge that we are not perfect and you are. Jesus, we thank you that you died on the cross so that we can experience the love of the Father. That you paid the price and we welcome you into our heart. And Lord, we walk out of this building, this church, your church, knowing that you're with us and with, with the plan that you have for each of us. Jesus, we just say we are your servants. Use us however you choose. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.